Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for this day is Luke chapter 3. Here are the verses which come after our reading. So with many other exhortations, John the baptizer preached good news to the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, who had been reproved by him for Herodias, his brother's wife, and for all the evil things that Herod had done, added to them all that added to them all that he locked John up in prison. This is a part of our text. Luke starts out his chapter 3 in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, the beginning of, or being the governor of Judea, and Herod being Tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother, Tetrarch of the region of Judea, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Names, names, names. What with all the names? They're difficult to pronounce, and who cares about history? Especially something 2,000 years ago. And these men, minor players in the events of world history. For those who have to take history in school, you might complain, what in the world am I ever going to use this in my life? And others may complain, people are missing out on the gospel as we learn this obscure history the truth is that God's Word comes to us in history, and there's much to learn about our own lives as God's Word went and continues to go and will go out into the world. For these names have to do with all flesh seeing God's salvation. God had given a promise in history. Adam and Eve had overheard the promise when God cursed the serpent. He gave the promise in the covenant to Abraham, and then expanded it to King David. He appointed the promise to be taught and proclaimed by the Levitical priests, and culminating each year as the high priest would enter the Holy of Holies and sprinkle the blood of the Lamb on the mercy seat and confess the sins of the people on the scapegoat as it was driven out into the wilderness. Simply put, there is the promise of the land of Canaan, the promise to David that there'd be one who would sit on the throne forever, and that there would be one high priest. But Luke is pointing out in our text that the unfolding of this promise looks like a mess. The land of Canaan at the birth of Jesus, yes, was ruled by one man, King Herod, not so great. However, now it's worse. The land, is, the land is splintered up into different pieces and ruled by tetrarchs. Not only this, those who rule are not even the ancestors of David. Herod and his sons are despised as ruthless, shirt-tailed relatives of the Jews. And Licinius? Who knows about him? Just a brief mention in history. The Herods have lost the blessed land of Judea to be governed by Pontius Pilate, a Gentile. And Herod, he cares little about their religion. He's interested in maintaining the Roman peace. Roman's peace 
enforced by the fist of Rome under Tiberius Caesar. One would think that one could also, or one could find order in the religion of the time. Here, too, Luke hints at religious discord. One high priest? Nope. Two, because they have turned the priesthood into an office of power, which Rome doesn't like, and so they place term limits to curb the influence of the high priest. So Annas, he's still around. <laughs> he still has influence, while his son-in-law is elected high priest. Times not like our, unlike our own church and state mixing into a toxic soup Religions pressure public institutions to conform to prayer times in school and influence the influence of Sharia law. Governments undermining the positive influence of Christianity. Churches abandoning the proclamation of the gospel for social justice and the freedom of ungodly lifestyles and unholy marriages. A howling wilderness pressuring our lives and the lives of our children. But wait, listen. A voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Luke makes the connection as he writes, John the baptizer said, therefore, to the crowds. It is the word therefore that makes this connection that helps us to see that God's word is being fulfilled. No matter how big the mess God's people have gotten themselves into, no matter how awful humanity, or excuse me, how awful and ruthless humanity has become, God's word will be fulfilled. Take no comfort in who you are. It makes no difference if you're a descendant of Abraham. God can make people out of the stones. God's word will endure. And for us, take no comfort that your Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, or some other church body, conservative or not. See what a brood of vipers, snakes ready to protect our own turf at anything we have earned and anything that we have taken from others. Examine our lives. Are we really content with what we have? To this, John says, the axe is laid to the tree. Every and every false savior because some would look at Jesus as some kind of social security, some kind of bread king or social warrior, but they will be disappointed. Their faith in him will not permanently fill their pocketbook or put food on the table or give healing to them and their suffering loved ones. He doesn't give the kind of social justice that the world wants but God's promises will be fulfilled. There, in the person of Jesus Christ, his son and our brother, verse 17 says his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into his barn and the chaff, in, and the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Since we know this, what kind of people ought we to be 
we continue to pray the Lord's Prayer over and over again. And when we pray, Thy kingdom come, we must ask ourselves, what does this mean? God's kingdom come when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit. And we, by His grace, believe His word and lead holy lives according to it here in time and there in eternity. You know, as Christians, it's easy for us to think about how wonderful and how we will be like in eternity. But we're praying for God's kingdom to be here now as we live our lives believing his word and living holy lives according to it. Don't wait for our lives to get better. Live now what we know by faith. We who are the baptized children of God, don't wait. And what does that look like? John gives us examples this morning when he tells the law enforcement of his time, don't people push people around because you have the authority and the power and the training to falsely accuse and to extract things from people? Be content with what you have. We don't have tax collectors like they had at that time. Seldom does the IRS come knocking on our door. We might get a letter. And if we get a letter and don't take care of that, then maybe, but then they call us. But John addresses those who are in charge of collecting taxes. You public servants, how are you determining sac uh, taxes? Don't, put, don't force people into poverty. Be good stewards. And to the common people, the crowd who came to see John that day, you people who have extra clothing and extra food, give it to those who do not have any. These are the simple things that show others that the kingdom of God is coming. It doesn't make us who we are. We are simply the hands and the feet of Jesus doing what God's people do. It's that simple. But that's not the whole thing. It's not what saves us and saves others. What we do simply testifies to what is greater. Isaiah proclaimed God's word, his threat and his promise. All flesh will see the salvation of God. The shepherds saw it when they came that night to the manger. Jesus, the baby of Mary. The Gentile magi came and saw it as they laid the gifts before her toddler, Annas and Caiaphas saw it when they tried to interrogate Jesus and send him to Pilate. Pontius Pilate saw God's salvation when Jesus tried, was tried by him. Herod the Tetrarch saw it when Pilate sent Jesus to be questioned. The criminal on the cross saw God's salvation when he saw the crucified Jesus. And he said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today, you will be with me in paradise. All these are the beginnings of all flesh 
seeing God's salvation. It is to see the crucified Christ. Yes, there will be a time when every knee will bow and every tongue confess as we're going to sing in the Lamb and the Lion. And as you've heard from Scripture, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It stands as a threat of law to everyone who resists now and lives contrary to their baptisms. It is a promise for all of us who believe and have been given the gift of faith who completely trust Jesus for our complete salvation. Today, we are a part of all flesh seeing God's salvation. We see it by faith in word and sacrament where Jesus says, this is my body, this is my blood. Yes, here's Jesus, God's salvation. We hear these words given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, for my salvation, for your salvation. Every time a child is baptized and God's name is placed on that child, no matter what family that child has come from, we believe that that child is God's child. We have faith that this child should be raised as God's child and to think like God's child. God's word gives that child faith. As parents, as a congregation, we simply do what the Lord has commanded us to do, to teach and to pray what it means. And as we hear the promises of God, faith is born in the heart by the Holy Spirit, and his fire consumes every dark sin and brings to light the righteousness of Christ in our lives to be worked out in service to others. He gives us the words to build up others in the faith, talents to benefit our community, our state, our nation, to be good citizens. And for some, even to become good and faithful public servants. God's salvation is here in the very mess of life. It is being revealed to all flesh, preparing us for when Jesus will come again, when every knee will bow, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Amen. The peace of God that passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus.